first of all, we have a criminal living in the White House. Read the Mueller report, all 442 pages of it that showed how the president tried to obstruct justice. Sucking up to Vladimir Putin every minute of the day. The president had to confess in writing, in court, to illegally diverting charitable contributions that were supposed to go to veterans. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. There's a presidential election on, too. Totally forgot. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR. Down in Nolens on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. The fifth Democratic debate of the 2020 presidential election was held on uh, Thursday, no, Wednesday night in Atlanta, Sponsored by MSNBC and Washington Post after another nearly 11-hour day of impeachment hearings in the U.S. House Intelligence Committee that same day, including riveting bombshell testimony from Trump's million-dollar donor-turned-EU ambassador Gordon Sondland, who testified that Trump's Ukraine pressure scheme was, yes, in fact, a quid pro quo, and that everybody including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, Trump's acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney, Vice President Mike Pence, and yes, the President of the United States himself, uh, who he said, quote, directed, unquote, the bribery scheme, was, quote, all in the loop. Somehow or another, our special coverage continues today of both impeachment hearings, which continued on Wednesday night with a second session after Sondland and again on Thursday morning following Wednesday night's Democratic presidential debate, because God forbid we should have a lack of content on this program even for one freaking minute. (laughs) So, hi, Des. Hello. We will be joined by uh, two special guests, both of them ringers here today for uh, today's special coverage to try and make sense of all of the above. 
Uh, after what Brian Williams on MSNBC following Wednesday's uh, debate described aptly as, quote, a withering and exhausting day of American politics. Sounds about right to me, even if it comes in the middle of a withering week or month or year or, yes, several years of withering American politics. We continue to wither today as we are joined by our only a moderately withered and somehow still feisty producer, Desi Doyen, who has not had a proper night's sleep in more days than anyone should ever imagine. What the hell? It's point. a newsapalooza. You holding up OK? Yeah. All right. You uh, I know what you're going to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Uh, also joining us for the hour today, two old friends, though only one of whom I believe has appeared on this program. We will start with her. Jackie Schechner is a longtime journalist formerly at CNN and Current TV. She also worked in D.C. as the National Communications Director for Healthcare for America Now as well as for Al Gore's Climate Reality Project. Most recently, she worked with the nonprofit Committee to Investigate Russia and, of course, we often turn to her when the various fights over health care reform get so insane that only Jackie can talk me off the ledge. Welcome back to the broadcast, Ms. Schechner. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm guessing you are not disappointed at all, just a guess, uh, that for the first time in a Democratic debate this year, not only did they not lead off with health care, they also did not drive us all insane by drilling down into the weeds on each of the candidates' health care uh, uh, plans. Are you relieved about that, at least, Jax? Yeah, I was very pleased. And Elizabeth <laughs> Warren started out with a whole read the Mueller report thing, which made me feel very seen. Okay. So I felt good. <laughs> there you go. All right, David Bender, meantime, also joins us. He is the political director of our superb streaming affiliate, the Progressive Voices Network where he hosts Stand and Be Counted, a daily segment that focuses on issues of democracy, drawing on his five-decade career as a political activist, reporter, and documentarian. He was also Air America Radio's first political director, where he co-hosted with someone named Rachel Maddow. Don't know whatever happened to her, but apparently she dubbed him her political guru, so I guess I'll keep my Maddow bashing to a minimum. Uh, today, he uh, he also hosted Politically Direct with David Bender there and recently authored The Dean, a biography of the late Congressman John Dingell of Michigan, just to name a few of his many accomplishments. Uh, and while I have served as a guest on his various programs over the years, I think this might be the first time I've returned the favor, if we can call it that. Welcome to the broadcast, David Bender. It is a pleasure to be here, Brad. I think it is the first time, and, and when you refer to those five decades, two of them were in the 19th century. Yes, that's right. Uh, so it's not sequential. <laughs> I just, see. So, you know, I've been doing this for about 160 years now. All right. Well, hopefully you can make it through just one more hour. Uh, by the way, David, on uh, on, on your uh, segment, A Stand and Be Counted, have you covered yet the disaster that we are likely headed toward in 2020 with the proliferation of brand new 100% unverifiable touchscreen computer ballot marking devices uh, in the entire yet, state of we're, Georgia? We're, we're, yeah. head, we're heading toward that. Oh, good. There's a, lot, there's a lot to talk about with that. Yes. And, and, and it is a fundamental foundational threat to democracy. So yep. we will be covering it on Standard Thank you. Let me know if you need any help, because those are coming to Philadelphia, to Ohio, Texas, and yes, right here in Los Angeles County, which drives me nuts. But it's a short drive. 
Okay, uh, our special debate coverage will have to be more abbreviated than usual today due to our special impeachment coverage, which will also need to be similarly abbreviated. So I need to start where we left off on yesterday's broadcast following the blockbuster testimony from Gordon Sondland in the House impeachment hearings of Donald J. Trump as those hearings continued both last night and today. And because I was doing this show and then going immediately to the debate, I was unable to cover the evening session in the Intelligence Committee where Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Russia and Ukraine, that would be Laura Cooper, and the number three State Department official, David Hale, both testified in the fourth of five impeachment hearings this week alone. Cooper reportedly testified that her staff had given her information based on emails revealing that staffers at the Ukrainian embassy here in the U.S., had actually asked about military aid being frozen by the Trump administration as early as July. That's a month earlier than was previously known. So as Sondland's testimony uh, suggested in the morning session, yes, the Ukrainians knew about the freeze in military assistance that was placed on it by the Trump administration to force Ukraine to announce investigations of Trump's political rival. So, yes, he said there is there was a quid pro quo, despite Republican denials that it couldn't have been a quid pro quo because the Ukrainians knew nothing about the fact that they weren't receiving the three hundred and ninety one million dollars in military assistance from the U.S. Jackie Schechner, uh, any takeaways that I may have missed yesterday from from that late session, which I could not even uh, cover, uh, watch, much less cover in full? Well, a couple of things. I mean, I think it's important to know that the quid pro quo we're talking about wasn't just the military aid. It's that having a meeting mm -hmm. with President Trump in the White House on his invitation was not as important because obviously the military aid is crucial but important in terms of setting up where the new president stood in terms of U.S.-Ukrainian mm -hmm. relations, proving that the U.S. was behind Ukraine in its fight against Russia to protect its own sovereign territory. And that was enough at that point, if they didn't even know about the aid, holding up that meeting in exchange for a political favor mm -hmm. would have been enough to say there's a quid pro quo. And Add on top of that the withholding of military aid where Ukrainian soldiers are dying on the front lines yeah. trying to protect themselves against Russian aggression, then you have it. It's, it's doubly bad. But they did know. I mean, we know they knew about the withholding of military aid. Mm -hmm. uh, but even if they didn't, it would have been a problem. But they knew. And we know knew. They knew. And Laura Cooper testified last night that her staffer said the Ukrainians were asking questions. But they right. knew. And it was, uh, I should underscore, a very serious war. 14,000 Ukrainians have been killed in that war. And the Ukrainians never did get their White House meeting. David Bender, uh, do you get any sense that uh, Sondland's bombshell testimony earlier on, when, on uh, Wednesday has, has moved the needle at all among uh, either Americans or, more importantly, Republican members of either the House or Senate at this point? No, I don't think it's moved any Republicans, because I think it, for Republicans to move, it's not going to come from uh, at least these witnesses. They are they are demonizing them. They they were perfectly prepared. It was really interesting to watch Devin Nunes pivot. They thought that someone was going to be on their side. Mm -hmm. uh, they, it, Nunes' opening statement said, 
you're going to be smeared by these Democrats. <laughs> and, and it was plain he hadn't read, uh, which he already he had, and he hadn't read it. This, is, this tells you everything you need to know about Devin Nunes. <laughs> he didn't know what he was about to hear from Sondland, yep. where Sondland uh, you know, aimed the bus squarely at the entire White House. Uh, everyone was in the loop, Pompeo, uh, Mick Mulvaney, everyone. And then they pivoted and tried to do it to him. No, I don't think they're going to be moved by Sondland. Now, John Bolton, that's mm. a different story. If they can get him in there, and he sure is making it sound like he wouldn't, well, he's got a story to tell, and that he wouldn't mind coming in, maybe. We'll see. That's a, a, a mystery in the days ahead. Uh, meanwhile, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think the question about Bolton, well, I think that any testimony from him would be interesting and possibly explosive. It doesn't sound like Bolton had his hands entirely clean either. But that's and true. And that while he, yeah, and so while he may sound alarmed, it's like a lot mm-hmm. of people inside this White House. Everybody likes to say there's a problem either when they're on the way out or on the outside. But where are the people who are standing up while they're inside on the inside saying this is problematic? Make it stop. Yeah. So I just I, I just wonder, you know, what it is that Bolton will say that is detrimental and yet not self-incriminating, and, and is there a fine line there? Yeah. And Jackie, if I can, the, yeah. the one thing that we have heard now consistently is that uh, Bolton is the one who said, tell the lawyers. Uh, he is the, uh, this is a drug deal, don't get involved mm-hmm. in it. Uh, Fiona Hill saying the same thing. This is now, it, it's all going to Bolton trying to say in real time that Giuliani is, uh, is bad news, he's a hand grenade. That's, that was something. Uh, Listen, I'm no fan of John Bolton, but apparently in real time, he stood up and said this this is the wrong thing to be happening. He he did, although... And he's not testifying voluntarily now. No, nope. so that's, that's uh, not, not yet. Not yet. And Sondland did say that uh, that Bolton knew about it, that he was somehow in on the scheme. And I guess that's mm-hmm. the uh, the part that might make it difficult for him to come in. Uh, but in any case, I told you it's abbreviated, so I'm going to move on to Thursday now. <laughs> uh, in uh, in in really more riveting hearings that just completed. Before we got uh, to air today, the uh, final currently scheduled testimony, unless John Bolton wants to surprise us, uh, that came from two longtime Foreign Service professionals, very impressive ones, I should add, uh, both of whom began working for the government during Republican administrations and have worked under several presidents, both Democratic and Republican since then, David Holmes is the U.S. political ambassador to, uh, I'm sorry, political advisor in the U.S. embassy in Ukraine. He testified that the Ukrainian government was pressured to announce investigation of Trump's 2020 political rivals. He explained how he had overheard Ambassador Gordon Sondland's uh, phone call at a lunch in Kiev on an unsecured cell phone with Trump and that Trump was asking Sondland the day after Trump's infamous July 25 call with Ukrainian President Zelensky about the investigations that all the president's men and the president himself had been demanding in exchange for that White House meeting that they never got and the $391 in military aid. He said, uh, Holmes did, that uh, Sondland told him that uh, he didn't give a bleep 
about Ukraine that Trump didn't and was only interested in, quote, big things that affected him personally in Ukraine, like the Biden investigation. Thursday's other witness was Dr. Fiona Hill, a British-born Russian uh, Russia expert who served as Trump's top expert on the region on the White House National Security Council under John Bolton. She testified about the threat faced by Ukraine from Russia said she hoped that uh, better relationships could be uh, eventually had there, but warned about Russian propaganda, uh, I'm sorry, Russia propagated conspiracy theories regarding Ukraine interfering in the 2016 election, which Republicans have been forwarding, describing that as a, quote, fictional narrative. And she warned that Russia was preparing similar measures to interfere in the 2020 U.S. elections uh, like the ones we saw in 2016. Dr. Hill was asked by Democratic House Counsel Dan Goldman about concerns with the NSC, within the NSC, about Rudy Giuliani's dangerous meddling in Ukrainian politics during her tenure. She stepped down earlier this year and his meddling on behalf of Trump's domestic political efforts and the push to smear the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, in order to push her out. So Team Trump could pressure Ukraine in this what Democrats are calling bribery scheme. Here's a little bit of that questioning from Dan Goldman. Dr. Hill, were you aware also that that during that period um, there was a a lot of publicity about Rudy Giuliani's interest in these investigations in Ukraine? I was certainly aware, yes. And around this time, Dr. Hill, you also, I believe, uh, testified that Ambassador Bolton had expressed some views to you about Mr. Giuliani's interest in Ukraine. Do you recall what you said? Yes. What he said to you, rather? I do do recall, yes. It was part of a conversation about the things uh, that uh, Mr. Giuliani was saying very frequently in public. Um, We saw them um, often, uh, or saw him often, uh, on television making these statements. And I had already brought to Ambassador Bolton's um, attention the attacks, the smear campaign against Ambassador Ivanovich and expressed uh, great regret about how this was unfolding and, um, in fact, the shameful way in which uh, um, Ambassador Ivanovich was, um, was being smeared and attacked. And I'd asked if there was anything that we could do about it. And Ambassador Bolton had looked pained, um, basically uh, indicated with body language that there was nothing which we could do about it. And he then, in the course of that discussion, said that Rudy Giuliani was a hand grenade that was going to blow everyone up. Did you understand what he meant by that? I did, actually. What did he mean? Well, I think he he meant that, obviously, what Mr. Giuliani was saying was pretty explosive in any case. Um, He was frequently on television making quite incendiary remarks about um, everyone um, involved in this, and that he was clearly pushing forward issues and ideas that would, uh, you know, probably come back to haunt us. And in fact, I think that that's where we are today. That is where we are today. Dr. Hill went on to describe Donald Trump's pursuit of what she described as a, quote, domestic political errand that came at the expense of official American foreign policy. And near the end of the uh, hearing on Thursday, Texas Democrat Joaquin Castro asked a direct question of both witnesses about the danger of using American foreign policy channels for a personal uh, political agenda by the president of the United States. Putting aside Donald Trump for a second, if the Congress allows a president of the United States, now or later, to ask 
a foreign government, head of state, to investigate a political rival. What precedent does that set for American diplomacy, for the safety of Americans overseas, and for the future of our country? That's a very bad precedent. Very bad pre precedent, and going forward, if that were ever the case, I would raise objections. The Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff closed the series of hearings uh, with a lengthy, impassioned summary of the story so far with a quote from the recently deceased Congressman Elijah Cummings. And in my view, there is nothing more dangerous than an unethical president who believes they are above the law. And I would just say to people watching here at home and around the world, in the words of my great colleague, we are better than that. Adjourned. So, David Bender, what were you struck by from Thursday's, uh, as I said, riveting testimony from Hill and Holmes? Well, to be honest, Brad, and, and whenever anyone says to be honest, you have to assume that there are moments they're not. Uh, <laughs> let me just be candid. Yes. And tell you that I, I got emotional again hearing that. You could hear the applause in the room. Mm-hmm. It's happened now at least twice for Adam Schiff. And Adam Schiff is not someone known for displays of, of public emotion. He's, he's very sober, very measured. But in evoking Elijah Cummings, who we miss desperately right now, and the nation needs mm -hmm. uh, that kind of moral leadership, and, it's, and we're getting it from Adam Schiff. That's what I, my takeaway is, mm -hmm. is that what we saw today, and, and Dr. Hill and David Holmes and and throughout this, it's been bracketed by Adam Schiff explaining to the country the moral, with moral clarity, the gravity of the moment that we're in. The Republicans are trying to turn this into a circus. They refer to it that way, and they're trying to make it one. And Jim Jordan, spelled G-Y-M, Jim Jordan, <laughs> may be trying to do his best to distract and deflect, but Adam Schiff keeps calling us back to a higher purpose, and that's what this is about. And and I have to say, I think that when, when the history of this is written, mm -hmm. Adam Schiff will be one of the great patriots of our time. His uh, closing statements uh, each day after these hearings have been, uh, you're right, uh, very impressive, summarizing the story and far more impassioned than I would have expected from Adam Schiff, who, you're right, is, is normally quite staid and sober. Uh, so that has been a surprise to me and uh, an impressive one. Uh, Jackie Schechner, after a week of these hearings, I guess two at this point, uh, what have you seen or learned that you did not necessarily expect before they began? Well, I will say this about the way that Adam Schiff has, Schiff has used these closing statements, mm -hmm. is that they are not only effective, but they're part of a larger narrative that he's put together. And by putting the witnesses he had in the order that they had them, mm -hmm. I think he's done a very effective job of telling the story through the witnesses and then using them effectively to debunk any of the talking points or falsehoods that are coming from Republicans. For example, had he not had Dr. Hill today, he wouldn't have been able to use her testimony that would debunk what the Republicans are saying about Vindman's, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's character. Mm. Right? So, so what he's done is, is taken some of the attacks uh, that have come up earlier in the week and used the later uh, witnesses to counteract those. And now remember, he's got depositions 
that he can work from. Mm -hmm. So he's got a lot of this information. So I, I just want to give credit where due in terms of how the witnesses were arranged and stacked and, and scheduled, because I think that that's part of the narrative and the way that it's played out. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to mention that I have gotten so many notes today about people who want to start fan clubs for Dr. Fiona Hill. Yes, right. <laughs> um, he is the day, the day superstar. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that her, uh, her demeanor was spectacular. Yeah. Her, um, her insistence on sticking to her guns was uh, admirable. Um, and I think it, one of the things that's important to note is that Republicans went after her saying, you know, we never said there wasn't Russian interference. You know, you just need to read our report. We said they interfered. I, I, I think it's important, very important to point out that you can't think that there's something to CrowdStrike server being in the Ukraine and the DNC in 2016 and also believe in Russian interference because mm -hmm. Russia did it. And so you, you can't, you can't uh, pursue those alternate theories and then insist that you believe it was Russia. You yeah. either believe it was Russia or you don't. Um, so she was very right in calling him out for continuing to push these conspiracy theories, and their attempt to mm. defend themselves in the moment fell flat for anyone who's been paying attention. Yes, and also I happen to notice that Nunes actually changed how he talked about his uh, Russia hoax. He's called it the Russia hoax all the time that Fiona Hill wasn't there, but he got way more specific oh. when she was right in front of him. Interesting. Uh, yeah, right. and so personally I would also like to point out that uh, Republicans quid pro quo distraction that they're trying to do. That is important, but that's not the nugget of all of this. The nugget of all of this is that the Republicans still do not have an answer as to whether or not it is a good idea for a president to invite foreign interference in a U.S. election. They have not addressed that at all. i got to get to a break, but I heard, David, uh, you want to jump in here real quick? The only thing I want to do is agree with Jackie completely and point out that, that what Schiff did was also to, by emphasizing... Uh, what Fiona Hill said, he was able to amplify it and, and call mm -hmm. out the fact that Donald Trump in Helsinki said mm -hmm. that, that this, he is accepting Putin's view of this and not our own intelligence agencies. It was a perfect pivot for Adam Schiff. And I should note, by the way, uh, David Holmes, also no slouch uh, today. But uh, Oh, no, he was wonderful. Yeah, he was fantastic, but you're right. Uh, Fiona Hill, an absolute powerhouse. Unfortunately, we've got to abbreviate our coverage, so let's take a quick break, and we will morph somehow uh, today's special coverage of the ongoing impeachment inquiry into special coverage of Wednesday night's Democratic debate somehow with our special guests David Bender and Jackie Schechner and, of course, Desi Doyen right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. President Trump inherited the North Korea problem from past presidents over decades. What would a President Biden do that President Obama didn't do in eight years? 
Well, first of all, I'd go back to making sure we had the alliances we had before he became president. He has absolutely ostracized us from South Korea. He has given North Korea everything they wanted, creating the legitimacy by having a meeting with Kim Jong-un, who's a thug, although he points out that I'm a rabid dog need to be beaten with a stick. Other now, than that, you like him. Other than that, I like him. <laughs> and you got a friend in me. And that was, of course, former president, uh, vice president Joe Biden, with a little help there from Bernie Sanders in Wednesday night's fifth Democratic debate in Atlanta, smack dab in the middle of impeachment hearings uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, as our special coverage of both important matters continues today here on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman with my guests, David Bender and Jackie Schechner, as we shift gears a bit to the debate, which featured 10 Democrats out of at least 17 currently uh, running, including in no particular order. And just so that I make sure to mention all of them at least once here today in our bit more truncated than usual debate coverage on the broadcast. Uh, that was former President Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Cory Booker, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, Senator Amy Klobuchar, and billionaire activist Tom Steyer, and entrepreneur Andrew Yang. Uh, as noted, we'll have uh, to be a bit more truncated than usual, but before we get to discussion about it. I always like to check in with our guests regarding any allegiances, professional or otherwise, that they may have for any of the candidates. Jackie Schechner, as I recall, you were not working for any of them this year, but I think when we last spoke, you were somewhat Warren uh, Warren leaning, if I recall correctly. Forgive me if not. Yeah, I like her, but I, you know, I like a bunch of the candidates. I don't, I don't have a preference. You got none. All right, David. Yeah, uh, really. We know you're a, a, a Rachel Maddow supporter, uh, as she's your I, old colleague I, from Air America. So I won't I, go too hard indeed. there. And, and let, let me yeah. let me just point out a point of personal privilege, yeah. Mr. Chair. Uh, <laughs> yes. That when she was introduced to the crowd at the beginning, the applause was so deafening. Yeah that it was plain she was not aware of it. She said that she thought it was for all the candidates in front of her, and it was plain that when her name was announced, the place went wild. Uh, so you Which are in nice the bag for Rachel Maddow. Are you in the bag for <laughs> any of the candidates on, on stage Wednesday night? I'm in the bag for anyone who will beat Donald Trump like a drum. Fair not enough. Not Joe Biden's drum, but any drum. All Maybe. right, fair enough. Uh, Jackie Schechner? How did Rachel Maddow do as moderator last <laughs> night? You know, I thought all of them did a great job. First, I agree. I don't know if it was because there were fewer candidates on the stage. I don't know if it was the fact that we had four women in charge. I, I don't know what it was, uh-huh. but it was. Uh, I thought it was a smoother debate than we've seen. Mm-hmm. I thought the questions were substantive. I didn't think that the uh, that there was that baiting that they've done in the past, where they try to get the candidates to attack each other, get them to fight. Um, yeah. I, yeah, no, I just thought it was it mm-hmm. all ran very smoothly. I was very impressed with, with it uh, as far as the logistics of, yeah. of how the debate went are concerned. I, I, I was, too. I actually thought it went uh, very smoothly. Let me see if I can uh, get you two to fight. David, uh, how is Jackie Schechner completely <laughs> wrong about all of that? <laughs> no fighting. I think that should be the permanent uh, group of women. And, and I, I concur completely. It was four women who knew how to make things run mm-hmm. well without letting their egos get in the way. Did any um, anybody jump out at you uh, one way or another, positively or negatively, in, in ways that they have not until now, David? 
I, I actually think Cory Booker had his best debate. It, his closing was superb, uh, and it was plainly heartfelt, uh, referencing John Lewis mm-hmm. in the audience. And what's really, it's always sad when you see a moment like that and you see what might have been, because he is not catching on. Uh, and he was literally pleading to be on the next debate stage. But I think he had a very, very strong night. Well, well, you know what? Uh, he may not be catching on. Let's see what the voters have to say. Uh, that's, uh, you know, because uh, a lot of what, uh, you know, the, the debate inclusion is about polling and funding. And you're right. I have not understood why Cory Booker is not doing better, but maybe the voters will feel uh, will feel differently. Does you have well, Des- if if he can yeah. hang out that long, that's the question, right. isn't it? Whether or not he can make it to March to or the, to the first primaries. Yeah, but he doesn't have to necessarily drop out, even if he doesn't get in. Uh, Jackie Schechner, did anybody jump out one way or another for you on Wednesday? Oh, I always feel like I'm going to get hammered when I say that. No, but you're not. I, I not by me. I don't think. Well, I just don't think that Joe Biden had a particularly strong night, and I don't think he's had particularly strong nights. I think he loses his train of thought very easily. Mm-hmm. I think he stumbles often. I think he tends to start a sentence and not finish it, um, and and not to insinuate that he's even like Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but but I don't. We we don't need any kind of indication that there's a similarity in terms of an older white man loses his train of thought. And I just, yeah. and, I, and I don't, you know, I don't want to throw the blanket over both of them because they could not be more opposite. And I, I think Joe Biden's been a terrific public servant, and I, I admire and respect everything that he's done for this country. I, I just don't know that now is his time. No, he, he and, seems frail. I mean, there's no question. Oh, yeah. and, and he has in yeah. every single one of these debates so far. Did you know that the the debate actually occurred on the night of his 77th birthday? Oh, it did? Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah, which which was not something that he brought up. Yeah, and and (laughs) I think it's shameful that Jackie Schechner took a shot at him like that (laughs) on his birthday. In any event, Rachel Maddow... No, you can't. No, you can't. No, no, that won't fix it because I'll uh, beat up on Sanders here now. Uh, Rachel, let me get to a clip here. Uh, Rachel Maddow, she led off the questioning with the four women, uh, the aforementioned women, which also I should note included Andrea Mitchell and uh, uh, Kristen Walker of NBC and Ashley Parker of The Washington Post by transitioning uh, the week's impeachment hearings themselves into these 2020 debates in a question uh, as initially directed toward Bernie Sanders. How central should the president's conduct uncovered by this impeachment inquiry be to any Democratic nominee's campaign for president? Well, Rachel, uh, sadly, we have a president who is not only a pathological liar, he is likely the most corrupt uh, president in the modern history of America. But we cannot simply be consumed by Donald Trump. Because if we are, you know what? We're going to lose the election. What the American people understand is that the Congress can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. In other words, we can deal with Trump's corruption, but we also have to stand up for the working families of this country. We can do it all when we rally the American people in the cause of justice. So here's my question, David Bender. 
can we do it all? Is he right that we should not be consumed by Donald Trump? Because he is, after all, as I see it, the greatest immediate threat to this country, Donald Trump. Uh, and frankly, to the world, as I see it, um, can we, should we do it all at the same time, as opposed to, yes, focusing on the menace that is Donald Trump? Well, first, a shout out to Bernie Sanders for reminding us that there was once something called bubble gum. Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I would say, okay, Boomer, but being one, I, I don't get away with that. That's right. Let, let me let me answer your question uh, very specifically. I've been saying for six, nine months that the 2020 election is going to get decided in 2019. How we handle what is happening right now with impeachment and how we view Donald Trump and, and the prism through which he is viewed entering 2020 is what matters the most, uh, which is why these debates, however important they may seem to the candidates, I think started too early, and I think the focus needs to be on Donald Trump for as long as it possibly can, mm -hmm. so that uh, when he goes into this election, if he does, right. if he doesn't step away or isn't forced away, he is as weakened as possibly he can be. And that is why I think uh, it is important not to try and do both things. Yeah. Right now, the focus should be on Donald Trump. And I kind of agree with you there. Uh, Jackie Schechner, uh, what do you see as the most important issue for Americans in, in 2020 uh, in the election? Uh, and, and as you think voters see it? Well, I don't know what they'll say that their top issue is probably health care again or living wage or thing, you know, the environment, climate change. But I do agree that we have to focus on getting rid of Donald Trump. And when Sanders said last night we can't just be against Trump, I, I do feel like at this point we can. Like, we're all exhausted, right? Yeah. And we just need to get rid of Donald Trump. And <laughs> whatever comes after that, um, it's almost like we need to just, like, fix up the house and then we can figure out what additions we're going to add to it. But right now we're, we've got a leaking roof and the floor is cracking and the walls are caving in and we just need to, like, bolster it. So We need to I move. At this point... Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. To a new house, and I, yeah. And I, that's, <laughs> yes, we do need to move. And, and I think um, that'll be enough at this point. Um, I think that if we start to go too far into the weeds with things like the differentiation between health care plans, mm -hmm. uh, you, you may lose some people. You may say, okay, well, this is terrible, but I don't want to go that super liberal route. Well, you know? and, and I think just focusing on anyone but Trump and, and whoever the Democrats think will be better than Trump, not just it's not just settling, but it's choosing someone who's just a, overall a better human being, uh, could be enough. I don't, I don't think that you need more than that to sway some of the people in the middle um, at this point. Uh, let me add a, uh, a related matter here. was raised a little bit later uh, also by uh, Rachel Maddow when she uh, cited uh, chants of lock him up that have been heard lately uh, when Trump attended a baseball game and uh, even, she said, at a Bernie Sanders rally recently. And Maddow asked if uh, if Biden felt that those chants, which echo, of course, the lock her up chants at uh, Trump's rallies in 2016, if they were appropriate and whether he would support, more importantly, I guess, a, a, a criminal investigation of Donald Trump after Donald Trump leaves office. Would you support a potential criminal investigation into President Trump after he leaves office, even if you thought it might further inflame the country's divisions? Look, I would not direct my Justice Department like this president does. 
I would not dictate who should be prosecuted. Let them make an independent judgment. If that was the judgment that he violated the law and he should be, in fact, criminally prosecuted, then so be it. And I don't think it's a good idea that we mock, that, that, we, that we model ourselves after Trump and say, lock him up. Look, it's about civility. We have to restore the soul of this country. Follow the law. Let the Justice Department make the judgment as to whether or not someone should be prosecuted, period. I am of the opinion that the American people now do believe, and the more they see these uh, impeachment hearings on television, they do believe that we have a president who thinks he's above the law, who is engaged in corruption, who has obstructed justice, and in my view, somebody who has violated the emoluments clause. I think Joe is right. That is the function of an independent Department of Justice. But my inclination is that the American people do believe that this president is in violation of the law. Now, I think that they should be chanting, lock him up, because I think he should already be locked up. So uh, why am I wrong? And David Bender, why does your political student, Rachel Maddow, seem to be so troubled by that? Well, because, you know, we are seeing a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem. We're going to have to come out of this afterwards what Pete Buttigieg talks about you know that tender moment after uh-huh. uh, Donald Trump is gone I'm not sure if it's tender or to, to Jackie's point we're just you know coming out of a coma from fatigue <laughs> but but if we descend into this you know downward spiral of of just saying the most vile uh, you know previously unthinkable things to one another in public discourse it's going to take a long time and maybe impossible to put that genie back. In but the I'm not talking about vile things. I'm talking about lock him up. I, I mean, what's wrong with that? He should well, be locked up. I, go ahead. Go ahead, No, Jackie. I was just going to say, I, I think that there's a way to do what Obama did. And when he used to say, don't boo, vote. Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's a way to, to turn that around. If you're standing at the podium and people start screaming, you know, lock him up, come up with something you know, vote him out or, you know, something something that's a more positive message if they're going to cheer and chant. Because uh-huh. it, gro- it was gross when it was happening on the other side, and I think that what David, the point that David's making is that we don't need to devolve into that on both okay, sides. Okay, and, and let, so, me ch- let me challenge both of you on that, because the fact of the matter is uh, you might have found it gross when it happened on the other side, because at that point there was nothing to lock her up for. There is something to lock up this guy for, and as long as we're going to talk about Obama and what he says, uh, he said, let's look forward, not back. But because we didn't look uh, back at the Trump administration, I'm sorry, at the Bush administration, Uh that allowed those guys to get off scot-free, which gave way to the Donald Trump that we are all now living with. So I argue that if you don't deal with the criminality of the, 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 the top guy, then things are going to get only worse in the future. Why am I wrong, David? I don't, think, I don't think you're wrong with dealing with the criminality, which, as I just emphasized, that's what we have to do right now. We have to deal with it in this process. I don't think it serves the cause. And this is why Nancy Pelosi's whole tone has been right. She, mm-hmm. set, it absolu- she set a tone that we should adhere to, which is not prejudging it, following the evidence, bringing back the rule of law, not doing the Bill Barr spinning the law, 
but following it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, the, the irony of this is lock her up was because she uh, had an uh, unsecure server, and this was the high crime that Hillary Clinton was supposed to have committed. Mm-hmm. This man uses an unsecure cell phone every day right. and jeopardizes the security of the country. The chant should be, take his phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Not sure it's quite as catchy, but I really am concerned about, uh, you know, that we are going to pull another Obama and, you know, look forward, not back. And we're, then we're going to see and even, uh, you know, see uh, uh, Republicanism then return in an even darker form, if that is even possible. And I think that that is an actual, tr- totally true, very real risk. However, I think you're talking about two different things. One is the mm-hmm. perception during the campaign of an audience yelling out, lock him up. That's one thing. And I agree with Bender that that can have a very uh, strange and unfortunate impact on the electorate if they see Democrats doing that. Then the second thing is post-election prosecutions of politicians. Mm -hmm. So that would have to be undertaken extremely carefully. And uh, I think that that's what Biden was referring to when he talked about uh, having his Justice Department independently decide this. He would not direct it, but it has to be done extremely carefully so that we do not mimic authoritarian countries that do corrupt political prosecutions of their rivals. Let's take a quick break. Actually, uh, Jackie, let me give you the last word on here before we get to a quick break. Well, Desi said what I was going to say, so you can take a break. Sorry. She does that. She does that all the time. Uh, just as well, because we do, do got to get to a quick break here, and we will come back with one more segment on our spe- with our special uh, fifth Democratic debate coverage today, in which we will either talk about Tulsi Gabbard or climate change. I'm not sure. We'll decide over the break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Mr. Yang, if you win the 2020 election, what would you say in your first call with Russian President Vladimir Putin? Well, first I'd say, I'm sorry I beat your guy. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was Andrew Yang at the 5th Democratic Debate in uh, Atlanta, Georgia on Wednesday night. I'm here with my guests David Bender and Jackie Schechner. So uh, this, I, I was, I was very pleased. We talked about it a little bit in the previous segment uh, to see some different questions asked for a change in this debate. For example, Washington Post Ashley Parker raised Tulsi Gabbard's complaints about the Democratic Party, uh, where she said that it is in the Democrats, uh, Democratic Party is in a rut. And while I know uh, many people have problems with Tulsi Gabbard, often for good reason, I think the point that she raised in this line of questioning is an important one that is not discussed very often on the Democratic side. But it may have been a harmful uh, issue for Democrats in 2016. Let me let me play this clip of, of Gabbard uh, and some pushback that she received from Kamala Harris, and, and then we'll discuss. Our Democratic Party, unfortunately, is not the party that is of, by, and for the people. 
It's a par- it is a party that has been and continues to be influenced by the foreign policy establishment in Washington, represented by Hillary Clinton and others' foreign policy, by the military-industrial complex and other greedy corporate interests. We have someone on the stage who is attempting to be the Democratic nominee for President of the United States, who during the Obama administration spent four years full-time on Fox News criticizing President Obama, buddied up to Steve Bannon to get a meeting with Donald Trump in the Trump Tower. What Senator Harris is doing is unfortunately continuing to traffic in lies and smears and innuendos because she cannot challenge the substance of the argument that I'm making, which only makes me guess that she will, as president, continue the status quo, continue the Bush-Clinton-Trump foreign policy of regime change wars. Let me go to both of you on this, David and Jackie. Uh, This may not be a popular question here, and I don't know, and I don't care. And I I know that uh, Tulsi Gabbard is not (laughs) popular with many Democrats, but there are a lot of left-leaning Obama voters who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 because they thought that he was against foreign wars and U.S. regime change policy. It was a lie, of course, in Trump's case, but... Jackie Schechner, how do you get those voters back when so many see, yes, both major parties, Republican and Democratic, as pro-war? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know that the things that Tulsi Gabbard is talking about are problematic. Yes, there is a military-industrial complex that runs a war machine. There is a medical-industrial complex that runs... Uh, our health care in this country. Mm-hmm. There are, uh, you know, big oil that, that destroys our environment. I mean, it's, this is, this is, you know, not, she's not saying anything mm-hmm. we don't know. Um, I just think she's the wrong messenger for uh, the change that she's calling for. And it, she's not specific, she's accusatory. And I think the problem is when the Trump campaign then takes her words and uses them in an ad to attack her fellow Democrats, She's playing into the narrative that she's not really working for the Democratic Party. Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily the things that she's talking about. It's, it's who they're coming from and what she's doing when she's not on that debate stage. Uh, fair enough, but that doesn't really speak to the question about how to get some of those folks back. I mean, many on the on the left were, were turned off. And by the way, I include myself here. Uh, by Hillary Clinton's saber-rattling with Russia, for example, in 2016. Uh, Many are concerned about a new endless Cold War under Democrats. David Bender, do you see any effort by Democrats to deal with that constituency? And by the way, uh, should they? I mean, is it even necessary, uh, as you see it, to do so? Well, we have a new world order. This is not. This isn't about a cold war. This is about ending uh, the, the Vichy government that's been installed here by the Kremlin. Uh, this we're in a very different world than we were three years ago, and so I look at that differently. We're we're, we're talking about you know uh, endless wars. We're talking about aligning ourselves with the dictatorships all across the globe. Mm-hmm. Erdogan was just at the White House, big fan. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the climate we're dealing with. So uh, to Jackie's point, uh, I agree with Tulsi Gabbard's message, and she's absolutely the wrong messenger. She lacks credibility. Kamala Harris's uh, points are well taken, but, uh, but I would point out that you, if you just pivot over to Bernie Sanders who has been mm-hmm. saying all of this for 40 years consistently, 
he is a credible messenger on that message, and he appeals to a lot of the voters you're talking about, which mm-hmm. is why, uh, for a lot of people, it was either Trump or Sanders. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think uh, it, it's very dangerous to have Tulsi Gabbard given credibility, because, I, frankly, if we're talking about record, as an adult, as recently as in the last decade, within this last decade, she was actively opposing LGBT rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, which she I, had I'm to be fair, she has apologized for and said she was wrong. For it, but so she forth. worked actively. It wasn't right. just the "I'm not there yet" as mm-hmm. with President Obama. I'm evolving. She was actively working against it as an adult. I look at this. I look at uh, you know, if if true, uh, cozying up to Steve Bannon for a meeting with the White House. I'll sit down with uh, uh, Assad because I'll I'll talk to anyone, but not call him a warmonger, not call him a war mm-hmm. criminal. Uh, and she re- specifically refused to do that after the debate last night. And, and no less a measured voice than uh, uh, Lawrence Tribe uh, tweeted, WTF, she <laughs> won't call him a, a war criminal? Right. Uh, I, I think Gabbard is, is a dangerous vehicle mm. for some very important things to be said. And I agree with you, Brad, that they need to be addressed, but not by her. Fair enough. Uh, is... Uh, you know, but we're, we're looking at a situation right now, and again, this will be up to the voters, or at least it should be if our voting systems work as they're supposed to. Um, but if uh, right now, according to the you know election uh, pre-election polls, it's Joe Biden leading the way for the moment. Uh, if a Joe Biden ends up winning and Bernie Sanders does not get the nomination, are we going to see a re- repeat of what we saw in 2016, where you're going to have a lot of these folks on the left uh, who would never consider voting for someone like Joe Biden, who I'm sure they consider to be a warmonger? I think at this point, Trump's the buffer. I mean, I, I just don't know that you're going to lose any more Democrats to Trump at this point. Yeah. I, I think we saw wh- where that got us. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, also keep in mind, too, is that we're obviously political animals and we're involved in this, yeah. but it's still far out. People aren't paying as close attention to it as we are. Yeah. Um, Joe's a front runner because he's got the name recognition. He's got the decades of experience in Washington. He's backed by a lot of establishment Democrats who are putting time and money and energy into, into helping him out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I think as we get closer, you'll start to see a shift. Um, so I don't think that's something to clearly worry about at this point. And, and yet somehow he's he's still in at least the national lead. Now, we don't have national elections, and he's not leading in any of the, uh, well, in the, in the early South two Carolina. states. Yeah, South Carolina, he has a lead, uh, despite the fact that in a debate like the one on Wednesday, in talking about violence, the violence against women, he described yeah. that as a problem that we need to keep punching at and punching at <laughs> and punching at. <laughs> And yet this guy is still in the lead somehow. Um, we have uh, news late today, and I've just got a minute or two here, so I'll get your all three of your thoughts on this, uh, that, in fact, uh, Michael Bloomberg has now filed uh, his federal campaign candidate uh, 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 paperwork. Jackie Schechner, is that going to, uh, the entrance of Michael Bloomberg, is that going to matter one way or another, whether it's for Joe Biden or anybody else in this race at this late date? Uh, you know, I don't know. I know that there are some people who who want to learn more about Bloomberg and his history. Um, who I who think wants to learn more about Michael Bloomberg? Oh, okay. 
No, 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 no. I mean, in terms of, I think that there are some some moderate kind of un, mm-hmm. unfamiliar voters who yeah. want to know more. They're like, okay, who is this guy? He's New York. He's got money, but he seems to be moderate. Like I. I think that there's a moderate lane he's trying to fill there, mm-hmm. um, and I think that there's some people who are going to give him some time to, to just kind of hear what he has to say. I don't know that he'll make much of a dent, um, but I think that he sees a pathway, uh, and he's going to he's going to try to fill that lane. Is sure. is he going to come up short, David uh, David Bender? That, that that's that's so unfair. I know you're right. <laughs> that, you're that's, right. That's what Donald Trump calls him. I know. Michael. Is it as fair I, as punching uh, at and punching at and punching? Uh, go uh, ahead. Which, 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 again, happy birthday, Joe Biden. So yeah, there here's, you go. Here's, here's what I will say. <laughs> Michael Bloomberg has enough money, and this is what this mm-hmm. is going to come down to, because Super Tuesday is 40% of the delegates, okay? Mm-hmm. And that that is happening so early. And I know we're out of time, so let me preview the fact that this thing is likely not to get settled until the convention. With with five or six candidates oh, able to go all the way to Milwaukee, yeah. we may see the first multi ballot convention since wait for it, nineteen fifty two. Uh. Adlai Stevenson. Uh, God, like my nightmares aren't bad enough at this point. David, <laughs> I really, really the, want you to be wrong on that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> please do be wrong. And by the way, I should note uh, that both uh, 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 both billionaires, Steyer and Bloomberg, have put in a lot of money. Uh, to climate, climate change, which I greatly appreciate, but for all the money that they are spending on their campaigns, if they really gave a damn, they could put that money into fighting for our vote and our democracy in a whole bunch of states around this country and make a huge difference. And they could also put their money into fighting for Democrats taking state legislatures to protect voting rights and the U.S. Senate, which nobody is really paying attention to right now. They're putting a lot of time, money, and energy into the presidential race, but not the Senate. We got to get out. Uh, thank you. Well said, Desi Doyen. Uh, my thanks to uh, my guest today, David Bender, whose work you can find at progressivevoices.com. Uh, David, uh, no no Twitter address. Is that because you're smart or chicken? Uh, I, it's, it's because, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've seen what Twitter can do to anyone. Uh-huh. But I, I will say that we're going to have a special on Sunday yep. at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on Progressive Voices Network talking about, guess what, impeachment. Huh. Wonder what that'll be about. I'll look forward to that. Thank you, David Bender. Jackie Schechner, always a delight speaking with you. You can find more on her, of course, at JackieSheckner.com and on the Twitters at Jackie Schechner. Thanks, Jax. My pleasure. All right, and my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, where I am not chicken, you can find me at the bradblog. And our thanks to those of you who help us out by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.